Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. Today, we are starting a life-changing series entitled Flying High. The title of today's message is A Solution Waiting to Happen. We hope you enjoy the word. Amen. Good morning. Oh, man, you guys sound great. You are energetic. You sound like you're rested up. And we are so glad to have you here this morning at Church at the Bridge. We want to welcome you all that are here uh, in person, those of you watching online. We are super excited to just share the word with you today. So today we're going to start a new series entitled Flying High. Everybody do this, right? Now do this, right? I do this, right? Wouldn't it be cool if you could just fly high in life, right? Listen. The truth is this, you might not know this, but God designed you to fly high in life. God did not design you and I to live grounded, to live stuck, right? But, to, 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 but in order to begin to soar in life, we got to understand something, that our spiritual eyes need to be refined so that we can discover, believe, and, and live out the vision that God has for us. I want to share a story with you, an antidote this morning uh, from the life of two men that are known as the Wright brothers. And uh, the way it goes is that on December 17th, 1903, at 10.35 in the morning, Orville Wright secured his place in history by executing the first powered and sustained flight from level ground. And for 12 gravity-defying seconds, he flew 120 feet along the dunes of the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Now, in the field of aviation, this historic event represents the beginning, a beginning. But for Orville and Wilbur Wright, these two brothers, it was the end of a long and tedious journey. You see, this was a journey that was initiated by a dream common to every little boy, the desire to fly. But what most children abandoned to the domain of fantasy, Orville and Wilbur seized upon as potential reality. They believed they might fly. More than that, they believed they must fly. Wilbur described the birth of their dream this way. Our personal interest in flying dates from our childhood days. Late in autumn of 1878, our father came into our house one evening with some object partially concealed behind his back. And before we could see what it was, he tossed it into the air. And instead of falling to the floor as we expected, it flew across the room till it struck the ceiling where it fluttered a while and finally fell to the floor. It was a little toy known to scientists in the French language as a helicopter, but which we, with sublime disregard for science, at once dubbed a bat. It was a little frame of cork and bamboo covered with paper, which formed two screws driven in opposite directions by rubber bands under torsion. A toy so delicate lasted only a short time in the hands of small boys, but its memory was an abiding one in their lives. You see, this childhood experience sparked in these boys an insatiable desire to fly. It, con- it consumed them. It, it, the only thing that, la- that they lacked at that point was the means to bring it about. And so they immediately went to work on removing the obstacles that, that stood between them 
and their dream. They began beginning uh, b- building their own hel- helicopters. In doing so, they stumbled upon the principles of physics that would pave the way uh, for them and for all mankind to eventually fly. In short, they began to engineer the vision that was born within them as boys. They took the necessary steps to ensure that what they believed could be and would be. And so up until this point, I want you to consider what we're talking about here. All humanity lived grounded. We were stuck and relegated to the laws of gravity. We believed this is what it is. Now, of course, we had wheels, right? We got those from the Flintstones, right? Okay, that was a lot funnier in my head, but anyway, (laughs) let's move along, right? Uh, We were all grounded, right? We were all stuck according to gravity. But the thing about it is that these young boys dared to conceive the impossible up until that point in existence. They dared to believe that if birds could fly, so could they. See, it wasn't until these two brothers got a vision for the possible and believed in their hearts that they could fly that they did. These two brothers believed in more than just an idea. They believed that they had a solution that could and would eventually propel mankind to new heights. Today, we begin our conversation with this life-changing principle. Listen, it's so good that you have to take a moment right now to believe and conceive and receive this truth about yourself. Listen closely. You are a solution waiting to happen. I want you to just pause and think about what we're talking about today. I don't want you to take my word for it. We're going to go to God's word. And listen, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, that's, that's I, look, there's no judgment in that. All I want to propose to you today is to consider what God's word reveals and weigh that in light of your life and your understanding. And then conclude, do I need what God's truth is revealing to me? Is that all right? And so I don't know if you ever thought about yourself that way, but you really are a solution waiting to happen. And if you're going to pursue the personal vision that God has for your life, if you're to find purpose in life, if you're to see it through, we have to understand that we were created for something, somewhere, at a specific time. You are God's solution for a specific people, for a specific place, for a specific purpose. You are a solution waiting to happen. Go ahead and say amen to that. That's good. That's good stuff. We need to believe that. But you see, this all starts with grasping this, that you were created for a purpose. You're created for a purpose. Now, let's talk about that for a moment before we really dig in here. See, everyone ends up somewhere in life, right? Everyone ends up somewhere in life. But not everyone ends up there on purpose. I want you to think about that. Everyone ends up somewhere in life. You are where you are right now. That is reality. You are where you are in your thinking. You are where you are in your relationships. You are where you are in your emotions. You are where you are in your circumstances. Everyone ends up somewhere in life. But here's here's what we got to consider. 
Did you get there on purpose? Did you get there with purpose? Let me take that a little bit deeper. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Is it God's purpose? Is it God's purpose for your life? That's good. Let's consider what Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a young man. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a young man, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now, I want you to consider what's going on here. This guy, Jeremiah, God says to him, hey, before you ever thought about what your life was about, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, before anyone had you in mind or didn't have you in mind, I had you in mind. And he says, I set you apart for my purpose. But here's the thing. This guy, Jeremiah, goes, you know, Lord, I'm not qualified. You know, Lord, I'm too young. You know, Lord, I don't have it all together. Lord, you don't understand how far I've fallen. You don't know what I'm struggling with. And here's the truth, that there's something that God knows about you that you and I need to know. There's something that God knows that you and I need to know. See, before you were born, God chose you as an instrument for an intended purpose. He set you apart for it. And I can't tell you what that is. I really can't. But God can, and he will. But you know how that all starts? It starts with saying, Lord, you know. Instead of going by what I know, Lord, I'm going to trust in what you know. I'm going to get a vision for what you see. I'm going to follow in the direction that you're leading. See, God gives us the vision. But to see it, you must be willing to believe it and pursue the revelation that God wants you to see. I want to encourage you not to respond like Jeremiah. Listen, there is something that God knows about you. There are things that God knows about your purpose, about your future, about your destiny, about your circumstances, about your hurts, about your letdowns, about your shortcomings. There is something that God knows that you and I need to know. I was just having a conversation this morning, and in this conversation, this gentleman so eloquently put it in context of what we were discussing, and he simply said this, now we know in part. The Scripture says that. See, we only know what we know, but we don't know what we need to know until we know what God knows. That makes sense? We only know what we need to know until we know what God knows. Right? That was good, man. That was real good. That was, that's tweetable. Right? <laughs> Check out Psalm 57, verse 2. It says, I will cry to God the Most High. He's simply saying, I'll turn to God. Watch this. Who accomplishes all things on my behalf. 
for he completes my purpose in his plan. You know, one of the biggest hurdles to overcome when it comes to finding and pursuing the vision, the purposes that God has for your life, is the belief that you're the one that has to bring it all together. You know, it's like we exclude God from the process. We say, God, I believe your word, but God, let me help you. Let me work this out for you. We fail to realize that God knows the plan better than we do and that he's more capable than we are. So we have to accept that he's the one that brings about the accomplishment of what he has called us to. Let's put Psalm 57 verse 2 up again. I just want to read this to you again. I want you to really consider the truth here. It says, I will cry out to God the Most High who accomplishes all things on my behalf. He's accomplishing it. He's the one bringing it about. You know, I remember many years ago, you've probably heard me share portions of this when we were in ministry as youth pastors. And, you know, there was nothing wrong with where we were at. Everything was great. It was so good that I, I, didn't, I thought I, we had arrived. Right? And at the beginning of 2013, I had, throughout that year, I had three different experiences. One was at the very beginning in the middle of a gym. I had convinced our senior pastor that we needed to split uh, the teen center and renovate it. And so we did that. And so we were in the gym with teenagers and, and it was in the middle of a, a, of a service on a Wednesday night. And, you know, God, God's presence was just, everybody was aware of it. And it was just a beautiful thing. We were there. And in the midst of that, I'm standing and I'm, I'm ministering the word. Or something was going on. And I was sharing something with teens. And everybody was just responding to God and the truth that we were sharing. And in the midst of that, I had this moment where I felt like I was completely out of place. And I said to God, God, is it my time to move on? Then I convinced myself, nah, it's just me, stupid. Don't, bad, bad pastor, don't think that way. You're right where God wants you. The second time was in the middle of a teen camp in the summer, August of 2013. And I was in the midst, it was the same situation. I had just finished ministering the word and, you know, we, we, were, we were in the midst of worship and there was about 200 some odd kids, 250 kids and, and the band is playing and everything and all these kids are around me, I had my team around me and I looked to my left to this guy, Dan, who was running our lights and sound and everything. For whatever reason, I looked to him, and when I turned and looked back, it's like everything went slow motion, and I felt completely out of place. And I said, God, what is this? Is it my time? And then I convinced myself once again that, no, I was right where I needed to be, that, you know, everything was working well. After all, we were ministering to hundreds of kids. We were, we, we, we were uh, serving t- countless families. We were involved in something that was very successful. This is what God called us to do. God, I'm doing what you called me to do. It can't be that it's time. And then the third time happened in December of 2013, which was right around the New Year's, uh, Christmas, New Year's holidays. And... At that point, I just walked into to, to, to our teen center at that time. And when I'm walking in, all the kids, all the volunteers, everybody's prepped, everybody's excited and pumped. And I walk in, and it was like something's wrong. And it was, there was nothing wrong with where we were. But I knew that what was wrong was that I thought that I had the plan. And I failed to realize something. God, you're the one that brings about your purposes in my life to accomplish them. See, it wasn't until I realized that this was a move 
of God. It wasn't until then that the vision, the purposes became clear for my life. And I would, I would share something with you just personally from my life to encourage you in your faith. And maybe you may find yourself somewhere along this journey of, of seeking a vision and purpose that God has for your life. That if you stay where you don't belong too long, things start to go sour. And here's the thing. It's not that anybody around you goes sour. It's you begin to sour in your heart. You begin to struggle. It gets hard. When you're in the, going in the direction where God isn't leading you, listen, everybody around you will say it's good. You might even convince yourself that it's good, that you're happy, that everything's working, that I'm fulfilled in life. But at the end of the day, in your truest heart of hearts, when it's just you, And you're not alone at those moments because God is with you because he loves you that much. It's in those moments when you can face your true self and what's really happening in your heart that you realize, I am not where God destined me to be. And it's in those moments that if we don't begin to follow where God is leading, we don't begin to pursue his purposes for our lives, that we end up in frustration. See, there's a specific work that God wants to accomplish through you. There's something specific. He put it all together. But we have to get in position to see how we can do it with God. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I know some of you have been wondering, what's with the box? Well, great question. It's a model car. I grew up loving these things. We could just never afford them. Right? I remember having these things every now and then. My uncle would pick one up for me, and I would get so excited. But I would always end up frustrated. And I'm going to tell you why, because I would look at the box and go, man, I love it. I can't wait to open it. And then I'd open it and go, what in God's name is this? This does not match What I see on the box. Mom, something's wrong. Theo, something's wrong. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong. But you know, I've always, since I was a kid, and even today if I'm not careful, I've always had the tendency, if I'm not careful, to want what's on the front of the box without looking to the instructions. Without looking to the plan that's in place. Without seeking direction from God, I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't go there. Because there's a specific work that God wants to accomplish through you. But it starts as we begin to pursue God. I'm not talking about you changing yourself for God. I'm not talking about you giving anything up for God. I'm not talking about you uh, having to uh, say 20 Hail Marys and, you know, pray a certain amount of prayers and bow a certain amount of times and dress a certain kind of way. I'm talking about you pursuing God and just getting back to that place where it's just, God, I just want you. I don't want the complicated stuff. That makes sense? The book of Job 22, verse 21, I want to just read this to you and then I'll just give you a quick comment on it, and then we'll dig in a little bit more. Job says this. He says, agree with God and be at peace. Watch this. And he says, thereby good will come to you. Now, we don't have time, and we're not going to dig into the book of Job, but if you study the book of Job, what you'll see is that it's the story of a man 
who opened the door to Satan in his life by holding on to a fear that gripped his heart. Job 3.25 reveals that. For those, maybe you believe that God did what he did to Job and that's the reason why Job went through what he went through. No, that's not true. Job 3.25 says that Job testified and said, the very, the very thing that I feared has come upon me. While everything was right, Job bought into a lie and he feared. And that gave a, a door of opportunity for the enemy, for Satan to come and wreak havoc in his life. Right? And so if you study out the book of Job, what you'll find is that it's, it's, a, it's writings, a compilation of writings of Job's sayings defending himself, defending his righteousness and why he didn't deserve these afflictions and all that he was enduring. But in the midst of the entire book of Job, you'll see glimpses of the wisdom that Job had gleaned from his personal relationship with God. And in this verse, what we learn is that it's not until we get past our disagreement with what God desires that we'll truly see that which is good and destined for our lives. Listen, Job says, agree with God and you'll be at peace. He says, agree with God and be at peace. And he says, and thereby good will come. See, good is always there. But the key to unlock it is agreement with God, which produces peace and all that's good in our lives. So I want to encourage you, get an agreement with God. You know why? Because he knows better. He knows better than we do. That makes sense? And so for the next couple of moments that we have here, I want to take, I want to divert you to the book of Nehemiah. And for the entirety of this series, we're really going to be deferring to the book, the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah uh, is written in retrospect from the eyes and perspective of this man named Nehemiah. And he's reflecting upon how God brought about this purpose this destiny, this assignment that God had for him. And Nehemiah was a slave in his day. He was one of many Jews that was led into exile by the Babylonian Empire when they seized upon Jerusalem and destroyed its walls and destroyed the people. And in chapter 1, what we're going to find is that Nehemiah has risen through the ranks and while he's a slave, he's a servant directly to the king. He's a cupbearer. So you might go, wow, man, that sounds real cool. This guy got promoted. Well, let me tell you what his promotion entailed. A cupbearer's job was simple. You drink everything that the king is about to drink before he does because in case it's poisoned, you're the one that dies. How's that for promotion? But you got to understand that above his rank and his service to the king, there was a call that God had on his life. So it would seem in reading the book of Nehemiah in the beginning that Nehemiah has settled into this role as a slave and his predicament in life. He's captive in a foreign land. Daily he's facing the possibility of being poisoned as he tastes every drink before the king has his fill. And instead, what we're going to see is that we find that Nehemiah had something that burned within his heart. He had a deep concern for the well-being of the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. It was something beyond emotion. Nehemiah had a vision from God. You might not know this, but God has a vision for your life. 
And what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks is really practical steps, practical uh, uh, wisdom from the Word of God to, to identify, discover, and pursue that which God has assigned to you. See, your solution waiting to happen. And so let's turn our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And in verses 2 through 4, we start off by reading, it says, Hanani, one of my brothers, this is Nehemiah referring to one of his brothers who came, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. If you study out the Hebrew here, here's what what it's literally depicting. These people were in shambles, not just materialistically, not just physical structures. It was their lives. It was their mindsets. It was their belief. It was their, their, their passion. These people were in disgrace. They were burdened with troubles and anxieties. It goes on to say, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, watch this, I sat down and wept. For some days, that means many days, by the way, approximately 40 days, we'll see in a second. For some days, I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want to make a point here as we're digging in. And and here's the point. It's that vision begins with the need to solve a problem. A vision from God. The purpose that God has for you begins with the discovery that there's a need to solve a problem that only you can. Only you can. See, everything that God created was created to solve a problem. Let me ask you a question. Why do you buy a car? To solve a transportation problem, right? Why do you, uh, why do you uh, 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 watch the news, right? To solve an information problem. Why do you go to a Spanish restaurant? To discover what God has provided, manna from heaven. Right? All right. My bad. Let's get back to this. I want you to think about this, that in the beginning of time, God created Adam as a solution to a world in need of rulership and caretaking. The Bible reveals that God says that the heavens and the earth are his. But the scriptures particularly reveal that God dwells in all his fullness in the heavens. And so he creates this place called earth, and he says, well, I'm chilling out where I'm at. But there's got to be somebody that resembles me and functions like me and has the same authority that I have there. And so he created mankind. Now, what's interesting, and we're not going to dig into this too much, but what's interesting is that when God made all creation, he said everything was good. Everything was good. The animals were good. The sky was good. The light was good. The waters were good. He creates man, this guy named Adam, and it's good. And the very first time we hear God say something's not good, here's what it says. It says, man, it is not good that man be alone. And he says, I'm going to make him a helper. 
But for what purpose? To accomplish dominion and rulership here on the earth. See, so Eve was a solution to Adam. Adam was a solution to this world. And when you step out every day from your home, here's what I want you to consider. That you are looking at a world crammed with solutions to somebody somewhere today. No matter what state they find themselves in life, no matter what challenges you yourself might be facing, there's a solution that has been deposited in you. And it's unfortunate, but it's true, that there is a world crammed with solutions that never get revealed. It begins with a pursuit of purpose as, re- as it's revealed from God. And so you got to see that Nehemiah was dissatisfied with the status quo. He didn't simply hear about the destruction among Israel and Jerusalem. In his mind, he saw that the people had settled into a life riddled with chaos. They had given up on God and they were reflecting the beliefs and mindsets of the culture around them. There was no longer any worship unto God in the temple. It was the laughing stock. It was a source of ridicule instead of a place of worship and encounter with God. Listen closely. A God-ordained vision for your life will cause you to see what no one else does. And it will compel you to act with a solution no one else has. See, is there something that you see? That no one else sees? You ever thought about that? Is there something that stirs your passion and desire to act? That moves you beyond your own rationale and your own limitations? That causes you to believe, I have to do something about this. Listen, if that's where you are, or maybe you're in the beginnings of that. Maybe you've gone through that and you've given up on that. Maybe you've said, no, not me, like I did. Let me tell you something. Maybe it's possible that the beginnings of a vision from God is at work in you. See, Nehemiah's concern for the problem around him wasn't a casual one. It wasn't like, oh, man, that really sucks. I bendito. I feel so bad for them. It wasn't casual. No, it was personal. And so here's the thing. It brought him to tears and it became a constant longing in his heart. It moved him past what his brother Hanani saw and what anybody else around him saw. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. I want you to see a couple of things and then we're going to bring this about. We're going to bring this to Wrap it up with a nice bow. But starting at verse 5, watch what it says. It says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites of, of we the Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave 
your servant Moses. He says, remember the instruction that you gave your, your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people, I'm sorry, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, watch this. Here's what he's calling God to remember. I, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's referring to the king. And he goes on to say, I was the cupbearer to the king. And so I want you to see that it would seem that Nehemiah did nothing when he hears about the state of the people of Israel and the walls destroyed in Jerusalem. After all, the scripture says that he got to crying and whining and, you know, uh, and fasting. And so it would seem that Nehemiah did nothing, that he sat on his hands and he hoped that something would change by simply praying to God. I mean, after all, look, if you have a vision from God, surely you have to launch out right away, right? Like, you've got to do something. And it might seem that he did nothing. But I, we got to understand something, that vision must undergo the process. Vision has to undergo a process. And I want you to consider something from the Word of God. See, uh, notice in verse 11 that... Nehemiah says this, he says, be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. Listen, if you really dig into this, here's what you're going to see. That Nehemiah didn't just pray and cry. Nehemiah planned. Nehemiah began to envision a possibility. And so there's a process. And what we see here is this. It's that vision must first mature in you. Understand what I'm saying here. Nehemiah was not wasting time after hearing about the condition of the nation of Israel and the state of Jerusalem. No, according to what we just read in verse 11, Nehemiah was praying there was a plan brewing, and he was preparing for an opportunity. He was praying, God, give me favor in the sight of this king, this man who, whom I am a sworn enemy to, who I'm a slave unto. He says, give me, give me favor before this guy. Now, for those of you that know our story, you might say, but Pastor Jose, isn't that what you did? You just kind of launched out. You told us that your pastor told you there's only one way to do this jump. And so you just jumped. Can I tell you that on the contrary, we spent years learning the ins and out of ministry. Working with people. Creating networks. Navigating the highs and the lows. And growing a heart in service to God and people. Listen, as you begin to get a vision from God, as you begin to discover the solution that God is calling you to be, don't just pray, 
See, we get all Christianese. We go, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to call my prayer warriors, right? Like if you get, as, the more people you get to pray, God, it, it'll be louder and God will wake up and hear your prayer. God's not deaf. He hears the cry of your heart. The Bible says that we pray sometimes with words that are unspeakable, within groanings and moanings, and that God hears and understands us. But what I want you to see is this. Listen, Nehemiah wasn't just praying. Nehemiah started thinking about this wall, and he started conceiving in his heart a plan. And he says, I got to get before this king. I got to get before this king. And so while he's praying and planning, right, while he's getting before God and he's envisioning, here's what begins to happen. He begins to see that there's a part that he plays and he has to get direction from God for it to come about. See, with every step of planning, just like the Wright brothers took, right, the plan grew as they learned more and more as they took step by step. Do you know that you are one step away, for some of you, from discovering what God has called you to? Just one step. For for others, we're, we're few steps. And you know what? It's not about distance with God in terms of where you are in this process. It's about do we take the steps? Do we dare to believe? Do we dare to walk this out? Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, for it is who? It is who? It is God, right? For it is God who works in you. Watch this. God's working in you. God's working in you. Somebody needs to hear that. God's working in you. For it is God who works in you to will And to act, watch this, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You know something about this process? We grumble along the way. Cotton picking. We sound like the Tasmanian devil. And we live like him too sometimes. Right? Because we're just trying to do our own thing. But listen. L- listen to what the word says. It says that God's working in you. And here's what his work is leading us to. To his will. To act. In order to fulfill this vision, this purpose. I think that's the reason why the scripture says, so now that you know that, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Without arguing. See, God's working in you to act on his purposes But you and I, we have to undergo this process. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, let's just turn there real quick. I want to, I want to, I want us to read this because it's, it's, it's important. Verses 1 through 9, it says that in the month of Nisan, in the 12th, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. I want to pause right there for a moment. If you look at chapter 1, it tells us exactly when Nehemiah hears 
in verse 1 of, of Nehemiah chapter 1. It tells us exactly when Nehemiah hears about the destruction of Jerusalem, when this vision begins to, to be born in his heart. Notice in, in chapter 2, it says that in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, what that's telling us is this, there was a span of over four months where all Nehemiah did was pray, plan, and envision. And so watch what happens at the culmination of this four-month period. Verse 2, and so the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. He says, I was very much afraid. You know why he was afraid? Because back in those days, as a servant to the king, as his cupbearer, it didn't matter how you feel, you had to put on a smile. Because it was to be your greatest joy to serve the king. And if you didn't come joyful, you were killed. So this guy comes and he's sad and he's very much afraid because the king takes note of it. Verse 3, but I said to the king, my king, live forever. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Mind you, he's telling the king about what his father did to the people of Israel. And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. By the way, it took him 12 years to do this. How about that? Watch this, verse 7. He says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, in other words, the entire region that he was going to, so that they will provide me safe conduct, safe passage until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And so I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry cavalry. With me, So get a picture of what just happened here. This guy goes to the king. And for four months, this vision has been at work in his heart. It's been at work in his heart. And while he's beginning to conceive this work in his heart, while he's beginning to see, man, I have a purpose. I'm called to do something by the hand of God unto the people of Israel. I'm called to rebuild these walls, but also rebuild the lives of these people. And in this whole time, something's happening in Nehemiah. He's maturing. He's growing up. The Bible tells us that it was in the month of Nisan that Nehemiah finally spoke to the king. And what we see is that when Nehemiah speaks to the king about what God has placed in his heart, watch this, he's still functioning as a cupbearer. But as we just read, Nehemiah no longer just has a desire. 
He now has a plan that consists of specific details that prepared him to lead. Something had grown in Nehemiah, and he was overflowing with a God-ordained solution. Listen, in the eyes of all those around him, Nehemiah was still a cupbearer and a slave. But in the eyes of God and this king, he was a man qualified to lead a great revival that would bring about a new desire and purpose and love for God that would raise up the people of Israel and the walls and would testify to the entire known world at that time that God was real and that he had raised up his people. Listen, everybody saw a slave and a servant, but Nehemiah knew that he was called by the king of kings. See, as we'll read later in the story, Nehemiah goes on to become the governor of Jerusalem. The thing is, he didn't have the experience. This guy was a cupbearer. He didn't have any experience in that regard. He didn't have the qualifications. But what he did have was the call of God on his life like you. The Bible says that there are gifts, that his gifts and callings on your life are without repentance. You know what the scripture is revealing there? You may have turned away from what God called you to, but God doesn't. Maybe, just maybe you've been there. I know I have. Where I've given up. I can't tell you how many times I said, nope, not me. You got it twisted, God. You're wrong on this one. I know what your word says, but you don't know what I'm saying. You're not hearing me. And the truth is that I just didn't know that I was created as a solution to something. As we're closing out here, I want you to consider something. That maybe, just maybe, you might feel unqualified to follow after the vision that God is birthing in you. Or he's about to birth in you. Maybe right now your mind and your heart is just kind of racing and you're going, whoa, I'm a solution? And it's not that God is waiting. It's that I've been waiting. It's that I've been holding out. It's that I've given up. It's that I've believed that I'm unqualified or maybe I'm just strayed too far. I say this to you today. Yes, you. Matter of fact, I dare say, God says to you, yes, you. You say, but I'm too young. But I've got all these flaws. But I don't understand the process. But I don't know where to start. Next week, we're going to be digging in. We're going to continue in chapter 2. And what you're going to begin to see is this, that, listen, success in the plan of God begins not at the point where you get there, but it's when you say yes. That's when you're most successful. That's when you're right where God wants you to be. And so listen, maybe you're saying, I'm not sure what I'm created to solve. And I say to you, that's okay. See, Nehemiah didn't know either. But there was something that prepared Nehemiah to receive it when God revealed it to him. Listen, this guy did not become 
the king's cupbearer by osmosis. It didn't just happen by happenstance. Listen, to be a cupbearer in service to the king, you had to be one that was trusted. What you might not know is that history reveals that this guy, King Artaxerxes' dad, was poisoned by the hand of his cupbearer. So Artaxerxes had much reason to not trust anyone, including Nehemiah. But there was something about Nehemiah that despite the Persian advisors that this king could have chosen, instead this king chooses a slave, a captive, a Jew. He chooses Nehemiah. And the question is why? And from Nehemiah's story, what we see are glimpses that Nehemiah was faithful, that Nehemiah was trustworthy, that Nehemiah was proven in his love for God and in service wherever he was placed, even as a slave. You might be in a season of life where the vision for your life is not yet clear. But listen closely. Here's something to consider. Are you faithful there? Are you trustworthy? Not just when people see you, but in the unseen. When no one knows your name. When no one's watching you. I dare say this. According to God's word, see what you do in secret, he'll reveal openly. God's at work in you. So be faithful where you are. Be trustworthy. Prove yourself there. Do it well. Do it all unto the Lord, as we learned last week. Do it with excellence. And as you continue in faithfulness, as you continue to grow in trustworthiness, as you continue to prove and refine the gifts within you as you partner with God, what you'll find is that Nehemiah's story is not just Nehemiah's story, it's your story. That you'll grow in your capacity to receive the vision for your life and become the solution that God created you to be. Amen? Let's stand here today. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us without guidance for life. Lord, today there are some of us that we've never really stopped to reflect upon the truth of your word. To see that you created us with purpose on purpose to bring about your purposes. Lord, that you love us so much, Lord, that you uniquely designed each and every one of us and set us apart for a great work. I pray, Lord, that today, Lord, our eyes are open and that we see past the temporal, that we see past our own hang-ups, our own shortcomings, that we move past what other people have told us and that today we heed and we hear your voice. We're a solution waiting to happen. Lord, today I believe what your word says, that in the hearing of your word, faith is come. And so maybe there's something stirring within you right now, and you're saying, man, I'm going for it. I'm taking this step with God. I'm getting back on track. I'm looking to God, uncomplicated, without all the other added things that religion adds. I'm just seeking you, God. It's where I want to be with you. I want to say to you that, hey, you're in the right place at the right time. Birthing the solution that God has placed in you. 
Father, today we just take a moment right there where you are, however that looks for you. We raise our hearts, we raise our hands. We raise our eyes. Lord, we take this moment to just simply reflect upon you and we respond to you. We say, God, we need you. We rely on your purposes. We acknowledge that you know better than we do and we choose to follow after you. Hey, if there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or maybe you started on that track and you've been doing your own thing, whatever it is, no condemnation, no judgment here, not even God's judging you. But you find yourself today responding to God and saying, God, I truly do need you. You're in a good place. You're at the beginning of something great. You're at the beginning of fulfilling your purpose for life of living on purpose, of discovering peace and joy and a life fulfilled. It starts with the decision to accept the the penalty, the price that God paid on your behalf and mine. It's the price for sin because we couldn't pay it. And so what God did is he loves us so much that he paid it for us. And he gives us his love without a receipt. He says, just accept my payment. Just trust my plan. If that's where you are today, I want to join you. I want, I want, I want you to invite us. And I, want you to, I want to invite you to join us in praying this prayer. Let's pray this with heartfelt conviction. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I declare you my Lord and Savior. And I put my trust in you. As my God. And from this day forward, I'm following after you. I'm pursuing life with you. And I look forward to discovering my purpose. Hey, if that's where you are today and you prayed that, we celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. Don't leave here without telling us about your decision. We want to walk alongside you on this journey. Now, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth. We celebrate Jesus and we're living life in pursuit of purpose, knowing that you've destined us to be a solution to somewhere, someone right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next Sunday.